Amen. Well, we're going to be in 2 Peter tonight. 2 Peter chapter 1. Oh. It wasn't too long ago. I guess now it's probably about 40 or 50 years ago, 30, 30 40 years ago now, they came out with the first Star Wars, Star Wars Episode 4, and of course, everybody was attracted to it, they all, the government was telling everybody it was real, people all thought it was real, and boy, that was a, it was a great story, of course, truth came out later that no, we just we made it all up, <laughs> but you know, at the time, everybody believed it, we might call it, as the Bible, as I'll read here in a minute, it was a cunningly devised fable. Now, of course, it had a political purpose there for the USSR and there. And, but here in Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, it says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he revealed... For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Here Peter is recalling what happened here. And that holy voice that came down, he says, look, we're not, we didn't make this up. We didn't get together secretly and privately and have this little secret meeting about how we're going to convince the world that Jesus is the Messiah. They want cunningly devised fables as our government put out Star Wars and how, how while that had a purpose, it was ultimately a cunningly devised fable. These are not idle tales or a vain thing, but undoubtedly truth and vast concern. Matthew Henry writes, says, The gospel is not a cunningly devised fable. There are not words of one who has the devil or who has convenience of any number of men who by cunning craftiness endeavor to deceive. But he says, the way of salvation by Jesus Christ was eminently the counsel of God, the most excellent contrivance of, in, of the, the infinitely wise Jehovah. It was he that invented this way of saving sinners by Jesus Christ, whose power and coming are set forth in the gospel, and the apostles' preaching was, making, was a making of these things known. Boy, you know, if we look at the world today, we can see all kinds of these cunningly devised fables, these, these really smart, ultimately, the lies, most of them. They're, they're put out there to deceive, they're put out there to divide and devise and separate. I was watching an article or a, a news clip several several uh, months ago and I was talking about misinformation and how the how the media 
and how the USSR even was trying to promote and push out this misinformation. And it was just interesting that I thought of that and thought, you know, how often is it that we get misinformation? That we get things that they're just not true. But when we come to God's word, we don't have to worry about, is this really God's word? Or is this just something that men made up? The world's going to tell you, it's a cunningly devised fable. They're going to tell you, oh, you know, he might have been a good teacher, he might have done some... But, you know, those miracles, you just can't rationalize them. You just can't, we can't prove these things scientifically. The standard for, you know, what is devisable, what's real is, boy, what, what can we ration? What can we scientifically prove? At least that's what it is for Bible. Now, for some of their own beliefs, that's not really the standard. But here... We're not following these cunningly devised fables, as he says. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Bible tells us, seeing, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, we have received mercy, we faint not, but renounce the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves, to every man's conscience in the sight of God. They're not cunningly devised, they're not walking in craftiness here. Paul is saying, hey, we're not doing this craftily, we're not doing this deceitfully, we're not trying to manipulate, we're not trying to work our own will, we're not trying to do what we want. He's trying to do what God wants. There is this, that we can uh, but by the manifestation of the truth, the showing of the truth, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. The Bible wasn't developed. It wasn't given by men. It wasn't, given, it wasn't this crafty book that says, hey, you know, we can, we can work this all together and we can make things look real good. And man can make things look real good. But ultimately... The only thing that's going to stand is going to be the truth. The only thing that's going to stand is going to be the Word of God. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 5 that not one God or one tittle shall pass away from law till all be fulfilled. The Bible tells us in 1 John that the, the, the will of man will pass away. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the, of the eyes, and the pride of life will pass away, but whosoever doeth the will of God abideth forever. Whosoever is going to do what's written in the Word of God. This Word of God is going to last forever. It's not going to go away. Heaven and earth shall pass away. My word shall not pass away, Jesus said. The Bible tells us that. Continuing there, he says, We have not followed these cunningly devised fables, but we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They wanted to make known Jesus Christ. Now, boy, you know, how, how applicable is that to, to us today? That we're here to make known Jesus Christ. 
The Bible tells us in Matthew 28, 18, the Bible says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Here, this is course, a great commission and Jesus there is telling his disciples, Hey, I have all authority. I have all the power here. You have all rights to go forth and to declare my name, to tell people about me. And go ye therefore teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So today you're going to go, you're going to teach them, you're going to baptize them, you're going to teach to observe all things that I, that's Jesus Christ, have commanded you. Says, look, because we're not following some crafty book, something developed by man, because the word of God is going to stand forever, because of how sure and how truthful and how concrete the word of God is, we can go forth and we can proclaim the word of God, and we don't have to worry about it not coming true. We don't have to worry about its trustworthiness. It is completely trustworthy. Of course, you know, the skeptics nowadays will say, well, you know, we think there might have been some errors in the translations. Well, we think that there might have been some, there might have been some church politics going on at the time. And, well, you know, they kind of had to throw that in because of, of the, the time that they were in, because of where the church was at. Uh, the church in whole, not not as we would think of a church, but the religious and spiritual state of the people and the clergy then. Well, you know, we think they... The Bible tells us that it was once delivered unto the saints. I'm not trusting man, I'm trusting God when I say we have the word of God because it's written in his word. I'm not trusting... Oh, well, you know, Tyndale did this, or Wycliffe did I'm not worried about that. Well, you know, King, King James, he wasn't really... No, it's not about those individuals. It's about what God has said in his word. That he would preserve his word to every generation. We trust the word of God, despite the skeptics, despite how they might come and say, well, you know, it's really not as trustworthy as you may think. We want to trust it, and we make it known. As I said in Matthew 28, 18, through, uh, 18 19, 20 there. But also in Mark 14, verse 16, Jesus said, I, I am, and you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power, coming in the clouds of glory. Here we talked about him making known his power and his glory. And Jesus there, when he stood before Pilate in Mark 14, tells him, okay, you're going to see Jesus Christ. You're going to see me coming in power and in glory. Of course, that message didn't sit well with them for the purpose that Jesus could fulfill what was written and that he could complete salvation's plan. We make known his power, make known his coming in Mark 13. Verse 26, the Bible tells us 
and this is Jesus speaking, and says, I'll show in verse 24, but in those days, after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars from heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Here he says, they're going to see Christ coming. When we tell people, hey, Christ is coming again, we're telling them the truth. We're telling them what's in God's word. We're only telling them, tell them what they're going to find out one day. We just hope that, that they trust the word of God, trust the Lord before that day comes. Our faith found in the, the word of God, not a, not a cunningly devised fable. Here, he goes on to tell us there in Second Peter chapter 1, turn back over there, it says, For we, when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Here, Peter, of course, Peter was one of the three that went with Jesus up onto the Mount of Transfiguration and got to see Jesus Christ transfigured before them. Got to see Jesus Christ in his all his, in his glory and majesty. And I don't really believe that it was all of his glory and majesty. Because we see later on, Paul, on the road to Damascus, he sees Jesus in his glory and his majesty and is blinded by the great light. And yet here, when Peter and John and, and James, they go on with Jesus into the Mount of Transfiguration. They see Jesus transfigured, and yet they're not blinded by the light, and they have recognition of Jesus. They have recognition of Moses and Elijah. They have recognition of them, so clearly they're not blinded by the light there. So Jesus wasn't even fully unveiled all his glory before them. Of course, uh, going back also to Moses. Moses had in, at Mount Sinai, he asked to see the Lord, the Lord's glory, and God says, "Well, you know, you can't see me face to face. There's no man that's going to live and see me face to face." But he says, "But I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock, and I'll put my hand over your eyes while I pass by, and you can see my see the back of me." And talks the Bible talks about the glory that was shining even then. Of course, Moses wasn't blinded by that glory either. Wasn't fully transfigured like it was for for Paul there with, with such a blinding light. But it goes on here. He's talking about being the eyewitness of his majesty. He's there. The Bible tells us, talking about being the eyewitnesses in John Chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John says, hey, we saw, we were eyewitnesses, we beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father. John got to see that as well. Of course, uh, later on, they're going to talk about the many who saw the resurrected Christ. 
Bible talks about that as well, how they saw them. They were more and more, I don't actually have that written in my notes here, but he says, hey, we saw Jesus Christ after he was resurrected. And there were times that over 500 saw him at the same time. Of course, you know, the skeptics are still trying to say, well, you know, maybe they were, all of them were hallucinating and they have different theories, or well, maybe Christ didn't really die. No, those are, anyone who would hold to those would be a cunningly devised fable. They're trying to merge what they know of science, which is always growing, and what they know of God, which if it's found in God's word, is concrete and is complete, where science is incomplete, so... Obviously, you can trust something incomplete or trust something complete. Yeah. Um, going back to trusting the Word of God here, they want to discredit the resurrection and discredit Jesus Christ. But here he says, hey, we, John says, we saw the only begotten of the Father. Here also in Mark chapter 9, talks about the, the Mount of Transfiguration. There it says, after six days, Jesus take, take it with him, Peter and James and John, and leaded them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceedingly white as snow, so as no full armor can white them. And there appeared unto him Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. There they, Jesus was transfigured before them, and he was talking with Elias, and he was talking with Moses. You know, when you think about it, Moses, he's been off the scene for thousands of years. Elias has been off the scene for hundreds of years. And here they're brought back. And I'm pretty sure, you know, they weren't talking about, hey, so this is what they're wearing nowadays. You've got to figure, you know, it's been hundreds of years, thousands of years for them. They're not wearing the same kind of clothes. They're not talking about the earthly things. They're talking with Jesus Christ about the heavenly things. Maybe talking about the plan of salvation. How Jesus is going to go. He's going to have to die for, their, for the sins of the whole world. Moses, of course, prophesied of this. Telling him, hey, there's going to be a prophet that's going to rise from among you. From you of your own brother, and him will you hear. Making reference to Jesus Christ there. And of course, Moses lifting up the, the serpent there. Jesus in John 3 calling that back to Nicodemus' mind. He says, hey, as Moses lifted up the serpent, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Of course, you know, Moses not really knowing the whole complete story and how that was going to work at that time. Now maybe he's like, oh, you know, now, now I understand. Now, it, now it's clear. Now it makes sense. And Elias as well. Hearing these things and of course, then they representing 
the prof, the law, and the prophets. And we know Jesus, after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus, was talking with them and expounded from the law and the prophets all things concerning himself. So we know that they were both spoke and prophesied of Jesus Christ. They, but they were eyewitnesses there of Jesus Christ and of his, the only begotten of the Son. It says, For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He says, hey, Jesus Christ, he received honor and glory from God the Father. The Bible, this is uh, occurred here. One of the places that occurred was in Matthew chapter 3. In Matthew chapter 3, excuse me while I turn there. Matthew chapter 3, verse, uh, I'll, be, I'll start in verse 13, it says, then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have, see, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me. And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it so to be now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is the first time that that's recorded, where the heavens were opened, and God says, Hey, this is my beloved Son. This is Jesus is my Son, and I am well pleased in him. He's God the Father was well pleased at the baptism of Jesus Christ. The Bible goes on to says here back in 1 Peter says there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. As the Father gave glory and honor to Jesus Christ in Isaiah <coughs> God says, hey, I'm not going to share my honor. I'm not going to share my glory with any with your idols. Of course, then, being in the time of idolatry in the nation of Israel, when Isaiah was uh, prophesying and, and talking and speaking to the people of Israel, they were engulfed in idolatry. They were worshipping Baal. They were worshipping uh, uh, the calf that Jeroboam had made, and here he says, uses Isaiah, says, look, God's not going to share his glory with another. The fact that Jesus, that God gave glory and honor to Jesus Christ, is just another fact to prove and to show, because he's not going to share his glory, and yet he gives his glory to Jesus Christ. They all won. This would, of course, agree with all the scriptures that you read when touching the matter of Jesus and God being one, that they are one. In, in John 17, verses 4 and 5, this is Jesus and he's praying. He says, I'll start in verse 1, just because only a few in that way we'll get the context. 
These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me, thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the, the world was. Jesus Christ, when he's praying in his prayer to God, he says, hey, I've glorified you. Glorify me. And it wasn't so that Jesus Christ could just be glorified. It was, as we read in verse 2, it says, that the Son may glorify thee. Of course, there in verse 5, he says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had which which I had with thee before the world was. He says, Hey, God, Father, remember the glory that I had with you before the world was? Would you glorify me with that? Not so that I can hold it to myself, but it says, So with that kind of glory, I can give that glory back to thee. I thought, boy, what a what an example that is. As believers it's not wrong to want to be glorified, not so that we can say, look how great I am. Look what I've done. But so we say, look what he's done through me. Look at Jesus Christ. Look at God the Father. Look at what they've done. Jesus Christ, our example, says, hey, glorify me so that I can glorify thee. He says he received this voice with excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He says, And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with them in the holy mount. They heard the voice. They were, they were also heard it there in that mount of transfiguration. That this is my beloved Son. Here he says, in whom I am well pleased. Goes on to say that he gives further instruction then to say, hear him. The Bible tells us tells us that um, in in, in uh, not Mark. Go there, Mark, chapter nine. Once again, he says there in. Verse uh, verse 7 says, And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. Hear God, the Almighty, says, Hey, listen to Jesus Christ. Listen to his word. Making the connection that the word was made flesh, we have the word of God here for us. We should be taking heed to the word of God, to hear it, to do it, to obey it. That excellent voice which came from glory, glorified Jesus Christ. Here it says, 
is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What a goal. To be pleasing to the Lord God Almighty. It's hard to imagine, hard to fathom that man, uh, sinful and wicked as we are, yet we could be pleasing to the Lord God Almighty. But it is our desire that when we get to heaven, he'd say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Our desire, our goal is to please God. Just as Jesus was able to please God Almighty, so our desire so it ought to be our desire to please the Lord God Almighty as well. How, how are we going to please him? By keeping his word. His word is completely trustworthy. It's not a cunningly devised fable. It wasn't something that man put together, that man developed. That No, it was from God Almighty, and it's going to last forever. And when we take heed to the Word of God to do it and to obey it, then this will be well-pleasing to the Lord. In closing, I'm going to say, let's turn to John chapter 17. Here he's in John 17, he says, in verse 14, he says, I have given them thy word, the word and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but thou shouldst keep them from evil, for they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me also into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that I might be sanctified through the truth. His desire for us was not to be taken out of the world, but that we would be kept from the evil that is in the world, and that we should be sanctified through the truth, truth that we should be a witness. He tells us also at the as uh, I mentioned in, in Matthew 28, that we should go into all the world and, and, and teach all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost and teach them to observe all things. It tells us in Matthew that we're to be salt, salt of the world. We're to be the light. We're to be salt and light. We're to be making a difference where we are. And when we've done this, then we can be well-pleasing to God the Father when we have taken heed to the Word and have obeyed the Word. The word. As I read here, this talks about them keeping the Word. He says, I spake, I give them thy Word. It's God's desire that we would take his Word and we would hold on to it, knowing that it's trustworthy, knowing that it's going to last forever, that it wasn't devised by man, but that was with God. And that through his word and the keeping of his word and doing of his word, we can glorify God the Father. And we can glorify Jesus Christ. That is the desire.